Hey there. If you are new to the show, a great way to follow our reporting when the podcast ends is NPR One. It's got hand-curated podcasts and audio stories ready whenever you are, wherever you are, from NPR Politics and beyond. Find it on your app store now. NPR O-N-E. All right. Here's the show. Hey, y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast here with a recap of Tuesday night's vice presidential debate between Tim Kaine and Mike Pence. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. I'm Ron Elving, editor correspondent. Okay, it is about 11.32 as we tape this. I've had too much espresso tonight, so I'm ready to go. How are we feeling? Maybe maybe a little bit Tim Kaine caffeinated? Yeah, I'm kind of jumpy right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Tim Kaine was. Yeah, yeah. So what are our big takeaways? Uh, you know, I think we have to think about it in two different categories, right? Is the one is style and one is substance. Yeah. And stylistically, Tim Kaine clearly ate his Wheaties this morning. Sure did. He came out, you know, a lot of the talk going into this was how Tim Kaine and Mike Pence are known as being nice guys, <laughs> that they're a little bit boring, that they're not as uh, antagonistic. And Tim Kaine did his best to disprove that tonight. Uh, He was, in the beginning, very interrupting Mike Pence. He was very antagonistic. He kept going after him, uh, reiterating some of uh, Donald Trump's more controversial statements and trying again and again to put Mike Pence on defense. But Pence was smooth. And Mike Pence, you know, he was, I think, unflappable is a pretty good way to describe him in this debate. And it also shows that, you know, when Mike Pence was in Congress, he was in leadership and his leadership job was communicating. He's good at messaging. He's good at communication. He is a former radio guy. Yeah, live conservative talk radio. And And he he used to call himself Rush Limbaugh on decaf. And he was smooth and cruise control the whole night. butter. And, and, you know, the the obvious game plan that was pasted on Tim Kaine's forehead was go after him, go after him, pin everything that Donald Trump ever said right there on him and make him defend it. And so he was rather eager in pursuing that set of goals. And he also had some other moments where he could actually present himself a little bit and particularly in the latter half to third of the debate, he calmed down and did that pretty much more effectively. But the impression that was created at the beginning, and I think many people were annoyed by it, was this jumpy, excited thing that made it hard to watch. So for a lot of voters, this was the first look they really got at these guys, Pence and Kane. Uh, Tuesday night, Longwood University in Farmville, Virginia. I love that. I think it's Farmville. Okay. Yeah, just vol. So not the game it, on my you phone. You kind of got to say it like Louisville. Farmville. Farmville. That's right. Um, the moderator was Elaine Quijano of CBS News. Welcome, Governor Mike Pence and Senator Tim Kaine. So the first question was asking these two men what about their qualities and their skills and their resume would allow them to assume the presidency um, should the sitting president not be able to do it. And both of these men, Pence and Kane, used the question to kind of introduce themselves to America, really. Senator Kane. Elaine, thank you for being here tonight. Governor Pence, welcome. It is so great to be back at Longwood University in Farmville, Virginia. This is a very special place. 65 years ago, a young, courageous woman, Barbara Johns, led a uh, walkout of her high school, Moton High School. She made history by protesting school segregation. She believed our nation was stronger together, and that walkout led to the Brown versus Board of Education decision that moved us down the path toward equality. I am so proud to be running with another strong, history-making woman, Hillary Clinton, to be president of the United States. So that was Tim Kaine. There's a bit of Mike Pence. Senator Kaine, it's it's an honor to be here with you as well. And uh, I just... uh, 
I also want to say, I want to say thanks to everyone that's looking in tonight who understands what an enormously important time this is in the life of our nation. For the last seven and a half years, we've seen America's place in the world weakened. We've seen an economy stifled by more taxes, more regulation, a, a war on coal, and, and a failing health care reform come to be known as Obamacare. And the American people know that we need to make a change. I mean, change is an incredibly compelling message for the Republican ticket. When they are talking about voting against the establishment, when they are talking about being change candidates, I think that was one of the strongest moments for Donald Trump in his debate against Hillary Clinton. And I think that was a really strong argument for Pence. And he came back to that both in the beginning and at the end, uh, that they are the change candidate. And if you're happy with the status quo, go Hillary Clinton. And if you're not, here we are. So... Debate started out cordial enough, but just a few minutes in, it became an interruption contest. All right, we are moving on now. Senator, if your son or my people, son handled classified information the way Hillary children, Clinton did, they'd be court-martialed. That is absolutely false, and you know absolutely that. Absolutely you know true. that, Governor. Governor. It's absolutely well, uh, true. Because Gentlemen, the FBI please. did the, did an investigation. Gentlemen. And they concluded that there was Senator, no reasonable prosecutor who would take it further. Senator Sorry. Kane, Governor Pence, please. <laughs> Gentlemen, Gentlemen, please. So this is just a taste. Like, the whole night was an interruption fest. I was telling someone earlier, it felt like two dads whose kids are at a soccer game on competing teams, and the dads are fighting with the referee over and over and over again, but very respectfully. It was perhaps not nasty, but... It wasn't but, nasty, but, but it was constant. But it was a lot more contentious than we were expecting because these, guys, these two guys do have such a reputation for being at the high end of the gentlemanly scale, if yeah. you will, in, in terms of Congress and national politics. I'm really curious to see how that plays out because it's important to remember, too, that as many as like 40% of voters had no idea really anything about oh, yeah. either one of these candidates going into this debate. And seeing that sort of like confrontational interrupting, I don't know the answer to the question, but it'll be curious to see if this moves the needle in terms of how people view them, whether their favorables go up and and whether it was received poorly or well. Yeah. Also, my question is, like, are debates full of interruptions the new normal? Elaine, Elaine, they kept trying <laughs> yeah. to interrupt them. And Tim Kaine did that a lot during the debate. Elaine, 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 Elaine. which there was some commentary. Well, actually. Yeah, but there was, I mean, there was some commentary about the way they were sort of being like, Elaine, Elaine, we've got this. Yeah, so th- yeah. th- it was an interesting Just dynamic. butt out. Just butt out was the implication. Where does a mansplainer get his water? A well, actually. Hey! If I just keep saying it, they're going to put it in one of these episodes. (laughs) Okay, moving on. So there's a lot of bickering all night. Each candidate, per usual, had their own set of facts. Also, sidebar, check out our own fact check at npr.org for a lot of facts from tonight uh, beyond the bickering. But the first big exchange of tonight was over tax returns. Donald Trump started this campaign in 2014. He said, if I run for president, I will absolutely release my taxes. He's broken his first promise. He's broken his first promise. Second, he stood on the stage last week. He stood on the stage last week. And when Hillary said, you haven't been paying taxes, he said, that makes me smart. So it's smart not to pay for our military. It's smart not to pay for veterans. It's smart not to pay for teachers. And I guess all of us who do pay for those things, I guess we're stupid. And the last thing I'll say Senator, is this. Senator, do you take the, all the, the deductions thing, that you're entitled the, to? The last thing I want to ask Governor Pence is I this. do. Governor Pence had to give Donald Trump his tax returns to show he was qualified to be vice president. Donald Trump must give the American public his tax returns to show that he's qualified to be president, uh, 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 and he's yeah. breaking his promise. Elaine, I have to respond to this. You get I mean, very yeah, little time. I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be very respectful. Governor. Look, Donald Trump has filed 
over 100 pages of financial disclosure, which is what the law requires. But he said he and would release his tax returns. people can review that, and he's going... Um, here's my thing with the tax returns. I honestly think for supporters of Trump or Clinton, it doesn't move their needle. And a lot of voters care less about this than the media thinks they would. This is a hard one to gauge. I think you're right. They think the media have cared about this more partly because getting Donald Trump's tax returns has become the holy grail of 2016. Yes. Now that they have been partially released and that partial release is being used as a crowbar to get the door open, uh, the, the media obviously have a betting interest in this. Some voters do care and surely not the hardcore partisans of either candidate. But there are still some people in the middle. There are some undecided. There are some people who are perhaps even peelable away from one candidate or the other. And the idea that is being put forward here is that Donald Trump is either a genius for not having paid taxes for 18 years or he is shorting the country, his contribution to the support of the federal government with our troops and all the other things the government does. And it's a little hard to be on both sides of that argument, but that's what Donald Trump is trying to do. I I do want to come back on this. His tax return showed he went through a very difficult time but he used the tax code just the way it's supposed to be used, and he did it brilliantly. How do you know he that? You haven't seen his tax way Because he's created a business that's worth billions of dollars to How do you know that? And with regard to so, taxes, you know, Pence is basically saying Trump's ability to pay low taxes proves that he's a shrewd businessman. Kane is arguing not paying your taxes and paying your fair share means that Trump was unpatriotic. We've already been hearing these two arguments. What of this sticks? Uh, Well, Pence, I also think, did an interesting uh, job in that he, again, said that Donald Trump would release his tax returns. He reiterated that. Which I don't think is going to happen. But he said Donald Trump will release his tax returns. But he said after this audit is by the IRS is completed, which was interesting that he went down that road again and and made that commitment because Donald Trump in the past has said he would release his tax returns at various other iterations. And he has not. The question of does it matter? Do voters care about this? And I think it depends on it. Pence also had a moment tonight where he said to Tim Kaine, don't you look for every single deduction when you file your taxes? And I thought that was very relatable. I thought this is where I thought Pence did a good job of messaging some of Trump's weaknesses. Is that to me was like something that I think an everyday voter would be like, well, yeah. Like I would do that too. And they somehow missed that $900 million they could have written off. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think really comparing what Donald Trump has done here to what the ordinary taxpayer does in taking off $1,000 given to their church, I, I think that's a little strained. Uh, what he has done is taken advantage of, in a very uh, assertive way, in an aggressive way, anyone would say, a loophole that's allowed for very, very large-scale real estate developers, including people using other people's money and not their own, to then decrease their own tax liability on their personal income tax form. That's not an experience most people get to relate to on April 15th every year. So another issue that came up tonight uh, was policing. Um, Pence and Kane actually seemed to agree on community policing. But Pence went on to say that cops are too often accused of racism and implicit bias. It was a very interesting exchange. The bad mouthing that comes from people that that seize upon tragedy in the wake of police action shootings as as a reason to uh, to use a broad brush to accuse law enforcement of uh, of implicit bias or institutional racism. And and that really has got to stop. There was a moment too here where I think Mike Pence said something that 
I think he maybe stepped in it a little bit is when he was talking about these police shootings, when he made a comment that suggested that a a one a, a black man shot by a black cop can't that, be a symbol that of bias, could not be a symbol of institutional racism. Yeah. And I mean, I, we we mourn with those who mourn. We we grieve with those who grieve. We're saddened at the loss of life. But but Hillary Clinton actually referred to that moment as an example of implicit bias in the police force where. Don't think that's Most the people that believe in the idea of implicit bias think that anybody can show it, yes. regardless of their race. Yeah. Now, Kane said, in response to what Pence said, that you can't fix this implicit bias if you don't talk about it. People shouldn't be afraid to bring up issues of bias in law enforcement. And if you're afraid to have I'm the discussion... I'm not dis- afraid if, to bring if, that up. If you're afraid to have the discussion, you'll never solve it. And, so, and so the first thing that stood out to me is that we have two candidates for vice president debating institutional racism and implicit bias. Black Lives Matter has moved the conversation on race in ways that we are just now grasping. Uh, You know, it might not lead to policy change here or there, but the conversation has changed. Uh, I would also say this is also an issue that Tim Kaine, I think, is uniquely qualified to talk about as well as someone who in his earlier iterations of his life have worked on civil rights cases, on housing discrimination, who is a white politician from the South who has had to bridge a lot of racial divides. And I think that is a debate that could knock some Democrats off their heels and how to respond to it. And he did not seem phased in talking about bias and institutional racism in a way that a lot of Southern Democrats might shy away from. Yeah. Several times throughout this debate tonight, you saw Tim Kaine try to question Pence directly about some of the um, things that Trump has said over the course of this campaign. He attacked an Indiana-born federal judge and said he was unqualified to hear a federal lawsuit because his parents were Mexican. He went after John McCain, a POW, and said he wasn't a hero because he'd been captured. He said African-Americans are living in hell, and he perpetrated this outrageous and bigoted lie that President Obama is not a U.S. citizen. If you want to have a society where people are respected and respect laws, you can't have somebody at the top who demeans every group that he talks about. And I just, again, I cannot believe that Governor Pence will defend the insult-driven campaign that Donald Trump has run. And every time Mike Pence pivoted to something else. Ours is an insult-driven campaign. I mean, to be honest with you, if Donald Trump had said all the things that you said he said in the way you said he said them, he still wouldn't have a fraction of the insults that Hillary Clinton leveled when she said that half of our supporters were a basket of deplorables. It's that she said they were irredeemable. If he said what she said, what they said, what they said, what did they say? You know that they know. Yeah. Pence was good at this throughout the whole night, but, like, what Kane said is actually things that Trump did say. Yes, and Pence did a very good job of, like, deflecting, deflecting. We should also note that in during this debate, Donald Trump was live tweeting it. And, of course and, he was. and it was really remarkable to me how much Mike Pence tried to cast Hillary Clinton as being someone who has driven a more insult-driven campaign. I mean, While Trump a, was tweeting insults. That's a bold insults. argument. Exactly. And during this campaign, Donald Trump is live tweeting it. And he retweeted – During the debate. Donald Trump was live tweeting and he retweeted an insult of Tom, of Tim Kaine that compared him to a Batman villain. So as you still have the not, you know, Mike Pence was so disciplined in this debate. And on Twitter, Donald Trump was still being Donald Trump. One thing that came up tonight that did not come up last week in the Trump-Clinton debate 
was immigration. To restoring the borders of this nation. So, Governor, how would these millions of undocumented immigrants leave? Would they be forcibly removed? Well, I think Donald Trump laid out a series of priorities that doesn't end with border security. It begins with border security. And, and after we secure the border, not only build a wall, but beneath the ground and, and in the air, we do internal enforcement. The wall must raise up into the air, y'all. Yeah. And Pence, in this regard, in turn tried to say that they have their, it's about national security. To, talking about the Clinton campaign and Tim Kaine's campaign and saying um, things like sanctuary cities, about allowing immigrants to stay here who have then committed crimes. We just had a conversation about law enforcement. We just had a conversation about the, the violence that's besetting our cities. The, the reality is that that there's heartbreak and tragedy that has struck American families because people that came into this country illegally uh, are now involved in criminal enterprise and activity. And we don't have... You said there were criminal elements that needed to be dealt with and that that would be their focus. And Tim Kaine just kept quoting Donald Trump back at him, including that Phoenix speech that he gave right after he came back from Mexico City. He's trying to fuzz up what Donald Trump has said. When Donald Trump spoke in Phoenix, he looked the audience in the eye and he said, no, we're building the wall and we're deporting everybody, he said, quote, they will all be gone. They will all be gone. And this is one of these ones where you can just go to the tape on it and see what Donald Trump has said. They're and all going to be gone. Now, what did he mean by all? Did he mean the criminal elements, as Mike Pence suggested? Or was he making an appeal to an audience that seemed to be defining all a little more broadly? One can argue, but uh, that's what they went back and forth about. And Tim Kaine kept going back to that original Donald Trump remark about they're rapists and uh, they're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime from way back at the beginning of his campaign. And, and Pence would object and he would object. And the final time that Kaine dragged that out, Pence he said, is. Senator, you, you, you whipped out that Mexican thing again. He Look. Can you defend it? There are criminal aliens in this country, Tim. Y'all, I I still can't with that. Yeah. Twitter Twitter came alive, shall we say, uh, at that particular expression. And and that will be one of the things. That'll stick. That comes out of the debate. Now, there'll be things that come out of the debate that go the other way. But the unfortunate thing for Mike Pence was that the strongest part of his performance was the steadiness over the entire 90 minutes or so uh, in which he had the better demeanor. But this soundbite. That's hard to communicate in a GIF. There was also some talk about refugees from Syria and whether or not they should be allowed to come into the U.S. This comes the same week that a court ruled that Mike Pence can't refuse Syrian refugees from his state in Indiana. Uh, this was something he did as governor in, in, in the Syrian refugee crisis. He tried to uh, make it so that Syrian refugees were not allowed to come Indian, into Indiana. After he took federal money for the relocation. Exactly. And the, and th- this has been ruled against him. This has obviously been an issue in this race as this is an issue that Donald Trump has talked extensively about, both in terms of either blocking refugees from entering the country entirely or creating new litmus tests for them to come in. Has even raised the prospect of religious litmus tests to come in and then has at times walk that back and suggested it should be a security test for refugees. And yeah. so but but first, you know, let's 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 make sure we're putting the safety and security of the American people first instead of Hillary Clinton expanding the security or, or instead of program. you violating the constitution but, by blocking people based on their national so origin rather than whether they're dangerous. That's not that's absolutely false. That's what the 7th circuit decided here's the difference. The 7th circuit we, we have different views on yeah. on refugee issues yeah. and on immigration. Hillary and I want to do enforcement based on are people dangerous? 
These guys say all Mexicans are bad. And with, respect to, and with respect to refugees, we want to keep people out if they're dangerous. Donald Trump said keep them out if they're Muslim. And one might add is that uh, at the time that Donald Trump said that we should bar people for, for being Muslims temporarily until we could figure out what was going on, one of the voices that was raised against him strongly and uh, immediately was Mike Pence's. And, and just to bring it up, because that's one of the reasons that he did so, Mike Pence endorsed another candidate in the Indiana Republican primary, Ted Cruz, and then said he would go with whoever won the voters in his state, which Donald Trump did. And then he turned around and endorsed Donald Trump. Some of Tim Kaine's strongest points in this debate, I think, were when he was talking about national security and talking about Donald Trump as commander in chief. He trash talks the military. The military is a disaster. John McCain's no hero. The generals need all to be fired. And I know more than them. He wants to tear up alliances. NATO is obsolete and will only work together with Israel if they pay big league. Third, he loves dictators. He's got kind of a personal Mount Rushmore. <sighs> Vladimir Putin, Kim oh, Jong-un, Muammar Gaddafi, oh, and Saddam Hussein. They talked and about Russia, Ron, for a long, long time. Hillary Clinton has gone toe-to-toe with Russia to work out a deal on New Start. She got them engaged in a meaningful way to cap Iran's nuclear weapons program, and yet she stood up to them on issues such as Syria and their invasion of Georgia. You've got to have the ability to do that, and Hillary does. On the other hand, in Donald Trump, you have somebody who praises Vladimir Putin all the time. Not so long ago, had you said that they would devote most of, well, not most, but that one of the top topics in a vice presidential debate would be Russia, people would have looked at you quite quizzically because that was an issue from the 60s, 70s, 80s, but not since, I mean, not since the end of the Cold War, well, perhaps we're going back into a kind of Cold War. And Russia has suddenly become quite salient, not only because their moves into Ukraine, not only because of their very aggressive role in Syria, but also because they're walking away from a lot of other international agreements. They're threatening NATO. And all of these things raise the importance of Russia because that was pretty substantive stuff and went on kind of coherently at a later point in the debate. Uh, the moderator let it continue, and I think we got a lot more Russia than we were expecting. Clinton Foundation was another thing that came up that did not come up in the first debate. Pence tried to go after Tim Kaine on that. All this talk about tax returns, and I get it. You know, you want to keep bringing that up. It must have must have until well in some promise. focus group. Uh, but here, Hillary Clinton and her husband set up a private foundation called the Clinton Foundation. While she was Secretary of State, the Clinton Foundation accepted tens of millions of dollars from foreign governments and foreign donors. Now, now you all need to know out there, this is, this is basic stuff. You know, that's a tricky line foreign of attack for the Trump campaign at this particular moment in time, considering that the Trump Foundation this week was given a cease and desist order from the New York State Attorney General because they never received, they never filed the proper legal papers to operate as a charity in that state. So the Trump Foundation has, that just in the timing of this attack, they have problems. the Clinton Foundation has been under attack for, and under scrutiny for the course of this campaign in terms of those relationships and the relationships between the foundation and her time at Secretary of State, but to flick at foundations when the Trump Foundation has raised so many, yeah. not only ethical, but legal questions oh, yeah. at this point. That did seem odd. Yeah. The biggest story against the Clinton Foundation is the suggestion that by giving to the Clinton Foundation, you got a 
ticket to get whatever you needed from the American State Department. That at the very least you pay could to get, play. You could pay to yeah, play. Cronyism. And that you, at the very least you got appointments if you wanted one and you could come and have a personal audience with Hillary Clinton and get whatever you wanted. And there is evidence that many people who gave to the foundation did have audiences with people in the State Department. Not so much evidence that that led to any kind of a policy decision or a quid pro quo, but that's the allegation. Now, they also had an argument over how much of the Clinton Foundation's money actually went to charity. Mike Pence said it was only 10 percent. Tim Kaine said it was 90 percent. You know, Tamara Keith, our White House and campaign correspondent, uh, has been the fact checker on this. And by the way, if you haven't gone to NPR.org fact check, go immediately. It's just it's great. It's an encyclopedia. And in real time, uh, she writes, that number, the Pence number, is not correct. According to Charity Watch, 88% of funds contributed to the Clinton Foundation go to programs, and the foundation had earned an A rating from the group. Uh, Okay, so that fact check is in. So before we take a quick break, we said in our preview episode that we would hear about religion from these two candidates, and we did. Started out warm and fuzzy, and then Mike Pence brought up abortion, and there was a true debate about that issue. Like Mother Teresa said at that famous I, national prayer breakfast. This is important. Bring the ch- I, let's welcome the children into our world. There are so many families let, let, around the country who can't have children. If we could improve the options so that families that can't have children can adopt Governor, more readily why those children. Don't you trust women to make pregnancies. this choice for themselves? We can encourage people to support life. Of course we can. But why don't you trust women? Why doesn't Donald Trump trust women to make this choice for themselves? That's what we ought to be doing in public life, living our lives of faith or motivation with enthusiasm and excitement, convincing each other, dialoguing with each other about important moral issues of the day. But on fundamental issues of morality, we should let women make their own decisions. Because a society can be judged by how it deals with its most vulnerable, the aged, the infirm, the disabled, and the unborn. I believe it with all my heart, and I I couldn't be more proud to be standing with a pro-life candidate in Donald Trump. So a really interesting discussion, particularly because both Tim Kaine and Mike Pence uh, talk throughout their course of their careers have talked about their faith and their Christian faith and being a driving force. And maybe there's no other issue than the issue of abortion that shows how different people of faith can view this issue. Uh, And Tim Kaine has had a little bit of a bumpy road, particularly among uh, in the Democratic Party and from liberal Democrats who are a little skeptical of him when Hillary Clinton tapped him because he would describe himself as personally someone who is opposed to abortion. But in the course of his legislative career, he uh, has never enacted any laws restricting abortion rights. He has 100 percent rating from Planned Parenthood, and he has said that he would not seek to undermine any of that in a Clinton administration. And obviously, the vice president doesn't play a very explicit role in legislating. Mike Pence, on the other hand, uh, throughout the course of his career, has worked very hard to restrict abortion rights. It has been a very passionate issue of his. He did it in Congress. He did it as governor. As governor of Indiana, he signed into law one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country, which was later overturned in courts. He uh, supports overturning Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decision that codified abortion rights in the country. Uh, and so they, the stark difference on this issue was was very apparent tonight. What I think is interesting is we have to, if we talk about voters, women voters in particular in this election have been alienated by the Trump campaign. And it will be interesting. I am not sure, you know, 
Think of it in a place like Pennsylvania, where Hillary Clinton is currently winning in the state, and she's winning in the strength, uh, largely in the Philadelphia suburbs, where the voters there are mainly college-educated white women who tend to be fiscally conservative but socially liberal. And in polls out in the past couple of days, post-presidential campaign, and throughout the course of this race, she's been up 5, 10, 15, in some polls as many as 30 points in a state like Pennsylvania. And uh, when I went up there and I spent time in that state, and that was an issue that women brought up there, that they didn't like the way the Trump campaign talked about women voters and that issue. And I think when Kane said tonight, why don't you trust women to make that decision? I thought that was a pretty good response. And also, that's exactly who Tim Kane was talking to. Oh, yeah. Okay, it's time for a quick break. We will be right back to talk about where the race is headed from here. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wonder Capital, asking, what if you could help combat global climate change and make money at the same time? Introducing Wonder Capital, the award-winning online investment platform that allows individuals to invest in solar energy projects. You can earn up to 8.5% annually while diversifying your portfolio. Best of all, Wonder Capital doesn't take any fees for investing your money. Create an account for free at wondercapital.com NPR. Wonder Capital. Do well and do good. Hey, before we get back to our show, I want to let you know about another great show we think you'll like. NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's basically the NPR politics podcast if we only talked about pop culture. In fact, we modeled our show's format on theirs, which you'll hear if you check out the show. And also our own Sam Sanders was a guest on theirs in a recent episode about documentaries and mockumentaries. Check out Pop Culture Happy Hour at npr.org slash podcast or on the NPR One app. All right, back to the show. All right, we're back. Before we move on, what are we not here about tonight? No Benghazi. No Benghazi, no RIFRA. This is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act or the Gay Wedding Cake there was There was a little bit of a passing bit. reference from Kane about LGBT rights, but we did not go into the whole Indiana or wedding cake story. Yeah. Didn't hear about veterans too much. Didn't hear too much about PTSD. Didn't go too much into climate change. You know, Pence before has said that humans contribute to this. Uh, but during this campaign season, Donald Trump... It's not gotten a lot of attention. Has, yeah. And, and Trump has said that it's a Chinese hoax. Here's a surprise. Not... Neither of them wanted to talk about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which they both both supported until they did it. Flipped because (laughs) they work for people now who used to support it and then flipped. It may also have been flicked at it this uh, in this debate, and I thought the same thing about the presidential debate. But how little Obamacare and the debate over the health care law has been a focal point of these campaigns, particularly how much of a driving force that was in 2012. Yeah, and what did bring it up? He he did did bring it up, and it's still an issue. It's just not front burner the way it was. And Bill Clinton's gaffe. Yeah. Calling, calling it part of a crazy system. But what's interesting about Obamacare is that as a law, it's kind of struggling right now. So this would be a good time for the GOP to pounce, and they're really not. The hard part is they don't really have an alternative. Yes. So I think that they, they're good on the attack, but they're not good on the explainer on what they would do to replace it with. Which is pretty standard politics. Yeah. I mean, the, te- the team that's not in power will say, this is wrong, this is goofed up. Elect and us and we'll fix it. They won't fix it until they're elected to fix it. All right. So last week, people came away mostly feeling that Clinton did a better job than Trump. But we weren't sure at first if anyone would be moved by this. Since then, a bunch of polls have come out that suggest that debate helped her. 
What are the odds that this debate moves voters? I say the odds are less. People care much more about the top card. They don't care that much about vice presidential picks. They don't care that much about vice presidential campaigns. Look how little these two men have been in the news since they were chosen in July. And they don't care that much about the vice presidential debate, even when it has some relatively dramatic moments as it has had at times in the past. Will this year be different? Much has been different this year. It's an extraordinary year in which even expecting a couple of calm, nice guys to come out and have a very civil debate uh, turned into much more energizing, much more energized than we expected it to be. Dockers khakis fighting Dockers khakis. How about we say Dockers versus dad jeans? Oh, I like that. Does that that. bring together all the... Riding lawnmower versus... Push. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things that I do think that Mike Pence did tonight that could help Donald Trump is in the orbit of Republican voters. You know, let's not forget that Donald Trump has there's still a lot of traditional Republican voters who I think look at Donald Trump and are like, I'm not sure if I can be sold on this guy. And, uh, And Mike Pence is much more in the mold of a traditional conservative Republican. And if you're inclined, if you want to vote Republican this year, I think Mike Pence is a calming force on that ticket. And I think his performance tonight would calm a lot of nervous Republicans. I also think that if Donald Trump does not win the presidency, when I was watching this debate tonight, I thought Mike Pence 2020... Yeah, you, can, you can't you blame. You could see yeah. a flavor of this. You could see in this man a guy yeah. that could run for president and somebody who is prepared for this. Yeah. And Pence will get no blame for a Trump loss. No. And he's been – and I think both of them, to the extent that if their job is not to embarrass their ticket and not to negatively drive stories, I think they have both done a good job so far. Yeah. Tonight was essentially a performance for their bases. And to whatever extent that was watched by undecided voters, they probably did not get a dispositive answer. And Sunday night looms as large as ever. So what should we expect Sunday night? Trump and Clinton back at it again October 9th. We'll have a bigger preview in our weekly roundup on Thursday. But this is a big one. Second debate for the presidential candidates. No lecterns. It's a town hall format. Half of the questions will actually come from the audience What should we expect? It's a different kind of challenge, and it does not necessarily connect as well as the first debate did with the rally speaker style of Donald Trump. On the other hand, he has done a lot of intimate television, done a lot of small ensemble television, which was pretty much, you know, letter rip, a lot of improv. Uh, He might very well prove to be better at the town hall format than people anticipate. But Hillary Clinton has done a lot of time, wait for it, preparing for that format, (laughs) Uh and she will probably also be able to bring some chops to that particular challenge. All right. So let's end nice because this debate was so testy. Shout out to Jake. He wrote us during the debate. He says, my name is Jake, and I am an active duty corpsman in the U.S. Navy. I'm stationed in Okinawa, Japan, and rely on less than real-time reporting due to the time difference. I can't thank you all enough for your hard work covering this election. There is only one English radio station here, and your pod is my commute audio. Thank you for your sensible reporting and giving us a peek into your jobs. Very respectfully, Jake. Well, Jake, first of all, thank you for your service. Thanks, Jake. Thank you, Jake. Um, And thank you for the note, and thank you for listening. Made my day. All right, as we said earlier, there will be more on the next debate in our next episode. That will come out on Thursday. It's our regular weekly roundup of political news. If you are new to our show, you can get that Thursday roundup about 7 p.m. East Coast time, Thursday evenings. You can listen on Friday or over the weekend or just put it on loop and play it all weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I know Uh, we do. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I played in my sleep. 
I don't do that. Anyway, you can get caught up on all the political news that we pay attention to all week, so you don't have to. Also, check out our fact check of the VP debate at NPR.org and turn on your radio to hear much more of our coverage on NPR throughout the week. And one more thing. If you like the podcast, and I hope you do, do us a favor and leave a review on iTunes. This actually helps other people find our show, and we want that to happen. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. And I'm Ron Elving, editor correspondent. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. I don't think we interrupted each other too much tonight. Less interruptions with, with us than with the debate. Elaine, Elaine, Elaine. <laughs> Sue, Sue. Elaine, Sam, Sue, Sam. Uh, Ron, Sam. I'm, I'm just not a Ron, polished Ron, politician Ron. like you two. <laughs> Bye.